Boy, it is something else what the Lord has done here in the last couple weeks with fellowshipping and singing, hiding guitars in certain rooms and busting out a joyous song and praise to the Lord. I don't think we should be afraid of that. And she might be mad at me later, but I think it'd be worth it if the lady sang at the back of the room that Sister Gail would get to sing with him. I don't know if he'd do it. I think it'd be a blessing. I had to bring Bree up here. I thought I was going to need a fishing hook, but she came on up here. What what an amazing thing it is that we have the opportunity to sing Amazing Grace. And I, I pray that you've thought about those words at some point, uh, what the writer's conveying there. We've got books in the library and the store that talk about the writer and his what led him to his writing that. And it's a good story. It's It's good to know and be familiar with that, but that won't save you. Do you know your story? Do you know this amazing grace? It's done such a work on you. We look at Micah again, uh, and I know it's been a few weeks. We've been we've been blessed. Uh, Brother Samaru came, and, and we just uh, we we've distanced this study a little bit more than I had intended. But that's good. It's what the Lord had for us. And as I said, what Paul preached a few Wednesdays back, what Samaru preached last Sunday, uh, it really interjected some fine points to this study. Uh, that I think was well worth the break. As we continue to look at answering the questions posed in Micah, uh, this would, I suppose, be considered part two of it. We looked at the first couple of chapters as it was addressing and as we were laying out the questions concerning the coming judgment. This brings us to chapters 3, 4, and 5, as Micah is now addressing the deliverer coming. Now, I had mentioned before that you can, you can see these are sermons from Micah, uh, and he begins each one with the word here, which is what we see at the beginning of chapter 3. So uh, bear with me here as I read chapter 3, 4, and 5. That way you've at least heard it before we dive into this. And we will likely uh, only get through this second point if you're looking at the outline. Uh, we're looking at the second point now. Questions concerning the coming deliverer. Micah chapter 3, verse 1 says, And I said... Hear, I pray you, O heads of Jacob, and ye princes of the house of Israel. Is it not for you to know judgment? That'll be the first question, but we'll come back to that in a moment. Verse 2, who hate the good and love the evil, who pluck off their skin from off them and their flesh from off their bones, who also eat the flesh of my people and flay their, sin, their skin from off them, and they break their bones and chop them in pieces as for the pot, and as flesh within the cauldron. Then shall they cry unto the Lord, but he who will not hear them, he will even hide his face from them at that time, as they have behaved themselves ill in their doings. Boy, that's a, that's a phrase you ought to underline in your Bible as a warning. Verse 5, Thus saith the Lord concerning the prophets that make my people err, that bite with their teeth and cry peace, and he that putteth not into their mouths they even prepare war against him. Therefore night shall be unto you, that ye shall not have a vision. And it shall be dark unto you, and ye shall not divine. And the sun shall go down over the prophets, and the day shall be dark over them. Then shall the seers be ashamed, and the diviners confounded. Yea, they shall all cover their lips, for there is no answer of God. But truly I am full of power. By the Spirit of the Lord, and of judgment, and of might, to declare unto Jacob his transgression, and to Israel his sin. 
Hear this, I pray you, ye heads of the house of Jacob and princes of the house of Israel, that abhor judgment and pervert all equity. They build up Zion with blood and Jerusalem with iniquity. The heads thereof judge for reward, and the priests thereof teach for hire, and the prophets thereof divine for money. Yet will they lean upon the Lord and say, Is not the Lord among us? None evil can come upon us. Therefore shall Zion for your sake be plowed as a field, and Jerusalem shall become heaps, and the mountain of the house as the high places of the forest. But in the last days it shall come to pass that the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established in the top of the mountains, and it shall be exalted above the hills, and people shall flow unto it. And many nations shall come and say, Come, and let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, and to the house of the God of Jacob, and he will teach us of his ways. And we will walk in his paths, for the law shall go forth of Zion, and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. And he shall judge among many people, and rebuke strong nations afar off. And they shall beat their swords into plowshares, and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up a sword against nation, neither shall they learn war any more. But they shall sit every man under his vine and under his fig tree, and none shall make them afraid, for the mouth of the Lord of hosts hath spoken it. For all people will walk every one in the name of his God, and we will walk in the name of the Lord our God forever and ever. In verse 6 of chapter 4, In that day, saith the Lord, will I assemble her that halteth, and I will gather her that is driven out, and her that I have afflicted. And I will make her that halted a remnant, and her that was cast far off, cast far off a strong nation. And the Lord shall reign over them in Mount Zion from henceforth, even forever. And thou, O tower of the flock, the stronghold of the daughter of Zion, unto thee shall it come, even the first dominion, the kingdom shall come to the daughter of Jerusalem. Now why dost thou cry out aloud, Is there no king in thee? Is thy counselor perished? For pangs have taken thee as a woman in travail. Be in pain, and labor to bring forth, O daughter of Zion, like a woman in travail. For now shalt thou go forth out of the city, and thou shalt dwell in the field, and thou shalt go even to Babylon." There shalt thou be, there shalt thou be delivered. There the Lord shall redeem thee from the hand of thine enemies. Now also many nations are gathered against thee and say, Let her be defiled, and let our eye look up look upon Zion. But they know not the thoughts of the Lord, neither understand they his counsel, for he shall gather them as the sheaves into the floor. Arise and thresh, O daughter of Zion, for I will make thine horn iron. And I will make thy hooves brass, and thou shalt beat in pieces many people, and I will consecrate their gain unto the Lord, and their substance unto the Lord of the whole earth. Chapter 5, verse 1, Now gather thyself in troops, O daughter of troops. He hath laid siege against us. They shall smite the judge of Israel with a rod upon the cheek. But thou, Bethlehem, uh, Ephrata, thou... Uh, though thou be little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of thee shall he come forth unto me that is to be ruler in Israel, whose goings forth have been from of old, from everlasting. Therefore will he give them up, until the time that she which travaileth hath brought forth. Then the remnant of his brethren shall return unto the children of Israel, and he shall stand and feed in the strength of the Lord, and in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God, and they shall abide, for now shall he be great unto the ends of the earth." And this man shall be the peace when the Assyrians shall come into our land and when he shall tread in our palaces 
Then shall we raise against him seven shepherds and eight principal men. And they shall waste the land of Assyria with the sword and the land of Nimrod and the entrances thereof. Thus shall he deliver us from the Assyrian when he cometh into our land and when he treadeth within our borders. And the remnant of Jacob shall be in the midst of many people as a dew from the Lord, as the showers upon the grass that tarrieth not for, for man, nor waiteth for the sons of men. And the remnant of Jacob shall be among the Gentiles in the midst of many people as a lion among the beasts of the forest, as a young lion among the flock of sheep, who if he go through, both treadeth down and teareth in pieces, and none can deliver. Verse 9, Thine hand shall be lifted up upon thine adversaries, and all thine enemies shall be cut off. And it shall come to pass in that day, saith the Lord, that I will cut off thy horses out of the midst of thee, and I will destroy thy chariots, and I will cut off the cities of thy land, and throw down all thy strongholds. And I will cut off witchcrafts out of thine hand, and thou shalt have no more soothsayers. Thy graven images also will I cut off, and thy standing images out of the midst of thee, out of the midst of thee, and thou shalt no more worship the work of thine hands. And I will pluck up thy groves out of the midst of thee, so will I destroy thy cities. And I will execute vengeance and anger and fury upon the heathen, such as they have never, or such as they have not heard. Heavenly Father, Lord, as we consider these three chapters, Lord, I ask again, you remove distractions, give us understanding, open up our hearts and minds. Let us keep repentance in the forefront of our minds. As we once again consider what it is Micah was addressing in the first couple of chapters and what he, what he declares here, I ask, Father, you be with those who are suffering, suffering ailments, be with those who are hurting, who are lonely, who are brokenhearted. Be with those who are lost, those in need of great hope, those with broken hearts, those with uh, injured hearts. Lord, heal as only you can according to your will. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So he says there in, in Micah 3.1, Here I pray you, O heads of Jacob, and ye princes of the house of Israel, is it not for you to know judgment? We saw in those first two chapters, and really what we see addressed there in the last few verses of chapter 5, it is declared to Israel that those idols that he addressed in the first two chapters in that first sermon that Micah delivered, the chapter breaks aren't Micah's, that came from translation, that first sermon, which we see as chapter 1 and 2, he declared they had idols in the land. That as we just got done talking about, there was something in his seat, something in God's place with his people that must be addressed. And as we see in the promise there at the end of chapter 5, he will utterly destroy it. Ground it to powder, I believe, is how it was phrased in the first two chapters. Micah here, not discouraged by their slanders, first condemns the wicked leaders of the land, the rulers, the false prophets, the priests. This is what we see in those first seven verses. So as we see this question, is it not for you to know judgment, we see that he begins where this, this heresy had begun. He begins by putting out the beginnings of that fire and putting it out utterly. They were devouring the people instead of helping them. They refused to serve unless they were paid. And it was the sin of covetousness once again amongst God's people. How does this apply to us? I'm afraid we do this every time we give the gospel with the singular hope of watching somebody join the church. I want to give you the gospel so that you too might become a Berean and so that there'll be more money in the treasury. 
There'll be more ability to do great things. We already have all the ability we need because God has provided for his people. We shouldn't give the gospel or witness to others that they might join and there be more money or even that they might join and there be more people. I'd rather see a lost soul saved and go join one of our sister churches than to not see a lost soul saved at all. This indeed is a great blessing, but that is not the only purpose of our work. In fact, that step of faith is not ours to take. What we're to do is give the gospel. The step of faith that requires them to go before the church, give up a profession and join through baptism, which is full immersion, that's their step of faith. There's not a, a notch that goes in your belt, a trophy upon your mantle for every soul you've given the gospel to, and you shouldn't want it if you really understand what's at stake here. In Luke chapter 10, we made reference to this already this morning. We see the Good Samaritan. It's verses 25 through 37. We're not going to read it at this time, but Luke 10, verses 25 through 37, the Lord speaks of the Good Samaritan. And he's illustrating there, there again the lesson on being neighborly. And the short answer is that a true neighbor is one who is merciful, one who shows mercy, the lawyer says. Someone joining the church is wonderful, but is that, uh, that is the work of conviction of God, which we studied last summer, through the Holy Spirit concerning the individual and their faithfulness to attend to what God has commanded, what God has directed. It's not yours, it's not mine. We are to first have compassion on the afflicted, as the Samaritan did. Then we are to see to their wounds with the application of this great salve that is God's word. There is no greater source of hope and healing than this living word. It divides to sunder because it must. What good is it to, to heal an open wound if the infection is already set in beneath it? It must be cleansed. It must be rooted out. It must be tended to. Then we are to set them on our own beast, die unto ourselves as we just finished talking about, to elevate them to a seat of comfort in which we can lead them back to the end. The greatest reason, and I wish, I wish this was just my statistics, but it's at least national at this point, the greatest reason most people leave a church, well, their, their reason at least, is that they didn't feel loved. Uh, few people said that in temperance. We saw them twice a year, and they left because they didn't feel loved. And I can tell you, the little old ladies that we had in temperance would get up as fast as they could in those front couple of pews and rush to the back to shake their hands, to hug on them. I would literally have to be in the pulpit reminding folks we need to begin every time they came. Did it break the Lord's heart when they said that? No. But it did break those little old ladies' hearts. My sisters in Christ, Sister Thelma, Sister Betty, they were sister-in-laws. They'd, they'd worshiped together for years. And it broke their hearts to hear that these folks left, though they had not really been with us at all, because they didn't feel loved. What more could we have done, Pastor? 
What more is required of us, pastor? Then we are to see that the inn is provided for. And this is what the Samaritan does at the conclusion of that event. We are to see that the inn is provided for through tithes and offerings. He sees that the inn is provided for by saying, whatever it costs, I'll take care of it when I come through again. Put it to my charge. That's what you do when you tithe. You don't know who's going to wander through that door. But you're telling the church, put it to my charge. As a member, as a, a man of God, as a brother and sister to those here, and maybe to those who will wander in, you put it to my charge. We'll care for them. We'll see that they're taken care of. This is what you do for one of our sisters right now who stays here on site. She fell on hard times. She needed our help. And we all said, put it to our charge. We will care for her. The prophets in Micah's day were preaching that the, what the people wanted to hear. All is well. Nothing's going to happen to God's people. You'll never be afflicted. You shall not surely die. Did you know God's people do surely die? I mean, this was Satan's greatest, greatest lie. We have evidence of it, and yet there are still those that say there are no God. There is no God. Satan was proved to be a liar with the first words he uttered. He's proven to be a liar at every graveside service we perform in a tent. But here in Micah 3.11, it says, The heads thereof judge for reward, and the priests thereof teach for hire, and the prophets thereof divine for money. Yet will they lean upon the Lord and say, Is not the Lord among us? None evil can come upon us. See, I didn't make that up. Micah literally calls it out. None evil can fall upon us. I'm afraid today some use Romans 8.28 in the same way. All will work out as God had intended. It will. You might lose a baby. It might be the will of God. You might lose your spouse before it's time, before you feel it's time, because it might be the will of God. Go read Romans 8, 28. He doesn't promise there won't be death. He doesn't promise there won't be heartache. He promises it will be to the good of his people according to his will. If you've ignored his will, you can't hold him accountable for what he's had to slay to put himself back on that seat. What, they're, what these are doing here in, in, in verse 11, the heads, the priests, and the prophets that we speak of, they were delivering an easy message to gain a following. But it doesn't save souls. They were telling folks, you're all right. There's no need to change who you are. There's no need to change how you feel you should be. These guys would be millionaires in 2023. Where is the law's place in that message? See, they can't be landmarkers because they can't give credence to anything that's come before. They can't be landmarkers because they're the originators of this message that they've taken from Satan and given to God's people and said that it's his. Where's the need for a savior? 
What would you want to be saved from? You're doing great. That's not their message. That's not their purpose. To their point, Israel would fall to Assyria. This happens in 721 B.C. And that the Babylonians would carry Judah away captive. This happens between 606 and 586 B.C. So it turns out they were wrong. Is all still well? Did this shallow anchor still hold firm? No. But God was faithful to the promise he made here, was he not? Exactly what he said he'd do, he did. These messages of false hope must cease. Listen again to Micah 3, verses 5 through 7. Thus saith the Lord, oh, Baptist friends, how we ought to rear up when we hear thus saith the Lord. There's something coming of concrete truth, a firm foundation for which we are to expand our building and only expand our building upon thus saith the Lord's. Thus saith the Lord concerning the prophets that make my people err that bite with their teeth and cry, Peace! And he that putteth not into their mouths, they even prepare war against him. See, he sees the heartstrings. He sees what they're truly doing. They're preparing war against God. Therefore, night shall be unto you, that ye shall not have a vision. And it shall be dark unto you, that ye shall not divine. And the sun shall go shall go down over the prophets and the day shall be dark over them then shall the seers be ashamed and the diviners confounded yea they shall all cover their lips for there is no answer of God I want to just stop there for a moment and I want you to think about Micah's role here because it could be the will of God for that to be your role in 2023 Micah has to stand against these I imagine they'd call themselves luminaries or visionaries. He has to stand against those who have the support of the crowd. Uh, they'd have a blue check mark on Twitter today, in other words. He has to stand against them and say that these are not godly things that they are proclaiming, that they are doing. And the people will perish in such. They will struggle in such. They will be brought down, undone, destroyed if this is what they pursue after. Yeah, Micah wouldn't have been a very popular guy. Micah had mentioned 12 cities, but in chapter 5 he mentions one more. He mentions Bethlehem. This message that he's preaching here, after all, is concerning the coming deliverer. And this new city, this Bethlehem, is the birthplace of Jesus. Of course, the Jews rejected their Prince of Peace, so there has been no peace in the world in that regard. But that peace which he proclaimed was not to be had in this world. Not in that time and not in this time, but rather with God. The peace that the Lord Jesus brought through his death on the cross was a peace between the born-again believer and his God. It's not something tangible that we'll have in this life. We'll have his blessings, and we'll have the blessings that come from being able to worship him. But it's not something we can hold up out of our wallets and say, look what I have. I'd rather have peace with God than peace with a, 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 a creditor, a debtor, whatever. I'd rather have that peace of God. 
Romans 5.1 says, Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. What a blessing it is to say that and have somebody mouth that with me. That's an assured promise. That's a promise to you Bereans, to we Baptists, you who call yourself, proclaim to be a born-again believer. That is a peace you must have. You won't want what's on the other side if you don't have that peace. You can have peace for a season with your children. You can have peace for a season with your parents, with your neighbors. Peace for a season with your co-workers. But all of this will soon come to an end. What tends to happen when something jarring occurs? Think of the defensive back for the Buffalo Bills who died on the field a few weeks back and was, was, has since come out of it. But understand, he died likely twice there on the field. During a nationally televised game, those who are paid to speak and know exactly what to say were forced to be on air and mumble nonsense. I won't mention their names, but this was on ESPN. One was, a, was an athlete, an actual football player. He'd seen things. The other, uh, AS is his initials, is an expert on all NFL things. He knows when somebody's going to a new team before they know they're going to a new team. And every time the light came back on the camera for them to go live, they just kept saying they were shaken. It was jarring. It was spooky. They kept saying, what, what, do you, what do you say? What are we supposed to do? They'd send it back to the field there in Cincinnati where two announcers who are paid to talk, paid mouthpieces, continue to say, we don't know what's going to happen next. The ambulance is on the field. The players are gathered around, many of them praying circled up around the player. We don't know what's going to happen. Crew comes out to gather up the Gatorade and the equipment off the sidelines. The fans are still there. And Joe Buck still says, we don't know what's going to happen. Nothing like this has ever been witnessed before. Y'all better get used to that. Because I believe the Raptors coming soon. I believe we're seeing a whole lot of things we've never seen before. If you missed it when we were talking about it this morning, the Euphrates River is drying up. In December, there's a lot of news on that. This isn't the vial. I want to put your mind at ease. The rapture will come first. But we've never seen COVID before either. And I don't know that we've seen a more worthless president than what we have now either. More of a joke of a Speaker of the House than what we had in Pelosi. You're seeing things like you've never seen it before. You still believe everything's going to be great? You still believe that you've got the gospel of prosperity and no bad will ever come unto you? Uh, all bad's about to come onto this globe, most assuredly. The only thing preventing it is the hand of God. We have only acted since the beginning of history as though we are begging for it to come. We've acted in full rebellion against the will of God since the very beginning taunting him, daring him. Prove yourself unto me, we say. 
but we are a creation. He is a creator. You don't want the wrath that's coming. The wrath that's coming will leave us speechless. We don't know what's happening. Death is all around us. We're speechless. It's jarring. It's spooky. Think about this Euphrates River. One of the oldest rivers. It's in Genesis. And if it is indeed the same river, it was connected to Eden at one point. Drying up. Now, I know I talked about this in Sunday school, but y'all ought, ought to research these things. Not what man has to say. Get into the scriptures. Do a simple word search, Euphrates. Look up what it means. We talked about this in our Genesis study, but then go find it in Revelation and see what's coming. These things are indeed coming. When man is faced with, faced with sudden death, sudden and inexplainable death, they are left without words. They're helpless, inactive, perilously revealed to be without strength before a great and terrible God. Another question comes up in chapter 4, verse 9. Now why dost thou cry aloud? Is there no king in thee? Is thy counselor perished? So this opening question in this sermon was, is it not for you to know judgment? And we talked about this in another uh, series that we've been going through here recently. Will we not know some types of judgment? Will we not experience some kind of loss? And what we just referenced earlier, Samru, he knew some judgment. I've known some judgment. No doubt you have known some judgment. Not every form of judgment is the judgment. Not every form of judgment is flood, like what's happening outside, but more drastically a global flood. Not every judgment is the coming fire. And not every judgment is a seat. But God is in control of all things. And God is infinitely holy. And God commands from beginning to end of this book, Be ye holy, for I am holy. So now we see, why dost thou cry out loud? Is there no king in thee? Is thy counselor perished? The question is directed to the nation of Israel in the time in which she was without king. And verse 8 speaks of a restoration of great splendor and power. Listen to Micah 4, 8. And thou, O tower of the flock, the stronghold of the daughter of Zion, unto thee shall it come. Even the first dominion, the kingdom, shall come to the daughter of Jerusalem. Wycliffe writes here, The former dominion, the kingdoms of David and Solomon, represent Jerusalem in its glory. Here it is implied that even greater splendor is to come to Zion, to the tower, a portion of the Davidic palace from which the good shepherd and figure watches over his flock. The text also speaks of their time in exile. Look in verses 9 again with verse 10. For pangs have taken thee as a woman in travail. Be in pain and labor to bring forth, O daughter of Zion, like a woman in travail, for now Shalt thou go forth out of the city, and thou shalt dwell in the field, and thou shalt go even to Babylon. There shalt thou be delivered. There the Lord shall redeem thee from the hand of thine enemies. We've thought of this illustration before, but I want you to think as we close of a woman who is pregnant for a season. 
and, and to my knowledge, and I don't know everything, there's never been a woman who was pregnant her whole life. So I think I'm safe to say a woman pregnant in her season. And in this season, though there's pangs or anguish of what she is experiencing, though they seem endless, and I'm certain they feel inescapable, her only deliverance is to go through it, to see the miracle that awaits on the other side. So that's where I want to close. I don't think that every time we hear of, of a woman going through birth pains and the anguish of these birth pains and all this, that we should just think of excruciating pain. And I'm glad Mandy's not here because I don't want to scare somebody who is pregnant. But a woman who is pregnant, there is something inescapable coming. That life is coming out. One way or another, one size or another, easy or hard, that life is coming out. And we talked about this a while back, I believe, in the afternoon study. That's how we should be as witnesses. We have been impregnated with everlasting life. Have we not? We have been given a message that is to go out unto all nations. And he's saying we should act as those uh, who are pregnant. This has got to come out of me. This everlasting wealth, this everlasting promise, this everlasting forgiveness, I got to tell you about it because it can't stay here. I have to give you this. I have to go through these pangs, this anguish. I have to tell you you're wrong. I have to tell you to repent because I can't live with it inside of me. It wasn't given to me to bury or to remain buried. There's a lot of parallels, if you know the Lord's ministry, with what we're saying right now. What Mike is pointing to, what we're studying in the afternoon and about to study in a few minutes again, the Lord was impregnating his people. No, Nicodemus, it wasn't that we would return into our mother's womb. It'd be that we are born again as a new life. Think of these fishers of men. Man, it would have been so easy to go back to fishing for fish. It would have been so much easier to go back into that life that they had before, fleshly speaking, but they couldn't. Why? Because a pregnant woman can't go back to being unpregnant until she has that baby, until that season comes to an end, and she'll never be the same because a woman who wasn't a mother that is now a mother is a very different woman. Laramie, you can correct me later. Kayla's a different woman. Rebecca's a different woman. Mandy's about to be a different woman. We aren't ever to be what we once were. Let this stir you. Let it move you. Micah's preaching to a people who do not want this message. And I might be preaching to a people that do. But we need to move. If these things that we're experiencing are the Lord's last and final warnings to his people, be prepared. I'm coming. Be prepared. You know these things to be true. Why are we not quitting our jobs and sharing the gospel like it's our full-time requirement? Why are we not pursuing after him? Why aren't we here more? Because this is coming to an end soon. Man, I'd rather be on the other side with the Lord saying, y'all didn't need so many services. Y'all didn't need to worship so much. You know he's not going to say that. And if you know he's not going to say that, then why aren't we trying more?